Hello, good people. This is Donald Wells with Wells CPA and another episode of a different type of bean counter. I'm so excited. It has been a long time since I've been able to interview somebody and a part of the podcast. And I have with me David CPAP. And uh, David is with client. He's a client. He's with client recovery agent. And the coolest thing, like when I first started talking, so I'm going to get into this. David's going to talk about um, the employee retention credit. And I get a lot of questions about that. So I want an expert to talk about it. But the coolest thing that when I first met David that I said, okay, this is someone I need to talk to and I need to listen to. Uh, If you're an accountant and you're a a person like me, uh, he stepped away from one of the largest firms, uh, accounting firms in the, generally in the world and uh, saw the value in the employee retention credit and wanted to really invest in that for a small business and not-for-profit. So this is going to be a fun time. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for David. And um, um, David, do you want to give any background without getting into the the questions and answers that we're going to go through? Absolutely, can do. Well, uh Good morning, and thank you for having me today. Uh, yes, so I have, uh, I've stepped away from KPMG. I am a CPA and, and really saw the value in, in this credit and the recognition that while the IRS might say 80% of small businesses and not-for-profits are eligible for this credit, uh, it's, it's been reported that somewhere in the neighborhood of only 25 to 30% have actually filed for it. And so there's this tremendous gulf and I've uh, uh, really dedicated the summer to making sure folks are aware uh, about what this value is. So that, excited to be with you today. That, that's beautiful. Dedicated the summer, so we better get going. There you go. There you go. Right. Going. Right. Um, so I'm going to ask David a couple questions. And the first one is, um, I, I'm hearing and I'm getting phone calls and, and inquiries from uh, my clients, the not-for-profit space, about employee retention credit and. And we're going to use not-for-profit and small business interchangeable during the course of this conversation because I think they both fit into to the, uh, the the space that we're talking about. And then I, I'm hearing tons of commercials on the radio and about, you know, this is an IRS program and it's this and it's that. And so first and foremost, what is ERC and what should someone be looking for uh, to help them navigate the, 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 the compliance waters? Okay, excellent first question. Uh, you know, first, there's, there is still time to claim the Employee Retention Credit, or ERC as it's also known. Uh, this is worth up to $26,000 per eligible employee, so it's a significant uh, value proposition. But uh, Don, you are correct. There's a lot of information and a lot of misinformation out there about what this credit is and, and who's eligible to receive it. And it causes a lot of confusion among business owners and those that lead not-for-profit organizations. So uh, we'll just start with kind of what the employee retention credit is and, and what it isn't. Okay. Um, this credit is a significant unrestricted payroll tax refund from the IRS worth up to $26,000 per eligible employee. The history and establishment of this employee retention credit is complex. A notice published by the IRS encourages employers to take advantage of the ERC as one of several federal COVID-19 economic relief programs for businesses. It was created by the Congressional CARES Act 
later expanded by the Consolidated Appropriations Act and the American Rescue Plan Act, and then reduced slightly in the Infrastructure Investment and Job Act. So given these various iterations of the tax law and updates uh, to the ERC guidelines, misconceptions about the ERC are very common. Mm. Dave, I want to ask you about the misconceptions, but I'm going to throw you a um, uh, curveball here. I love it. Not something that we talked about. A couple of different times you mentioned eligible employees. Yes. Can you define that term for I sure us? can. Thank Fantastic you. idea. Let's uh, really, if you boil it down, we're looking at W-2 employees. Okay. So uh, if you've got a business who only has 1099 contractors, they are not considered eligible under okay. this program. Okay. And the other thing, important thing to note is, uh, unlike the PPP program, Paycheck Protection Program, uh, owners and family members of owners are generally ineligible as considered eligible wages. So okay. that's another key, okay. key point okay. to, uh, to consider. But if, if, you've got a, uh, if you've got an operation that you own and you have three W-2 employees, in, in a grand scheme, those, those W-2 employees are all classified as um, um, eligible Correct. Okay. Perfect. So now let's get back on track where yeah. we're going. Uh, you mentioned there's misconceptions about ER, ERC and, and different uh, things that we need to be aware of. So what are some of the common mis- misconceptions about the, the credit and ERC? Sure. Uh, well, we'll look at three common myths that are that are out there now. And, and the first one is that organization and, and businesses that receive funds under that Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP as it was known, aren't eligible to receive the ERC. And this is false. Uh, however, it was true when the ERC was initially established, but eligibility was later expanded to allow businesses and organizations to receive both uh, the ERC and the PPP. And I think this is the reason that perhaps the ERC has been somewhat overlooked uh, in the in the uh, general scheme and in the media by many of those small businesses and not-for-profit organizations. The second one is that organizations and businesses that didn't qualify for the PPP program wouldn't qualify for ERC. And that is, again, an, another false uh, statement because those qualification requirements uh, are completely different between the two programs. Okay. And then the third one is that organizations and businesses whose sales or, or revenue uh, were up over the course of the pandemic don't qualify for the ERC. And this is also false because a decline in sales is not the only way to qualify for the ERC. Many businesses and organizations whose sales or revenue increased during the pandemic uh, will still qualify for the program. You know, I think that that's the key one because for whatever reason, that's where I continue to get stuck. Yes. With, especially in the not-for-profit space with uh, PPP dollars and additional grant dollars. Most people, believe it or not, in the nonprofit space saw an increase in their top line. And um, so I'll, the question continues to be asked, is ERC available? Is ERC available? And you're saying absolutely it could be. Absolutely. Man. The beauty of the word or, or. and not and. Yeah. <laughs> if you dig deep in that you legislation. Have, you have to read. Yes, you indeed. You have to read. Yes, indeed. All right. So what are the risks? Obviously, um, we don't get anything for free. So what are the risks associated with the ERC? Well, you know, certainly there's a a lot of firms out there that have inundated the market with promises of big refunds and fast turnarounds and loan advances on any calculated refund. 
Uh, and I recently read an article, it was by Daniel Mayo, uh, and it was entitled, Will the IRS Deny Your Claim for the Employer, Employee Retention Tax Credit? And he recently published this as a Forbes contributor. And to quote him, uh, one unfortunate side effect of the ERC explosion has been the proliferation of tax credit companies offering dubious advice in exchange for outsized fees, mm. end quote. So certainly there's a number of firms who tout the savings but are far from qualified to do the work. And so when considering a partner to work with in determining your employee retention credit, I, I just want you to be mindful of four key areas that should be, in, be embedded within this work. Okay. So the first one's qualification. You know, every business and, and not-for-profit is unique, and those unique facts and circumstances should be mapped to the ERC guidelines for eligibility and qualification. This should entail both a professional opinion letter, uh, the qualification resources document that's going to out, uh, outline the ERC guidelines. This document really should be a synthesis, synthesis of hundreds of pages of ERC guidelines and written in such a way as to be accessible to the average person. It's worth noting that this qualification step is, is often skipped by providers, and I think that puts the organizations uh, at risk in the event of an audit. So a couple examples, you know, we've, we've had a, uh, with our firm, we've had a business owner uh, meet with our team to determine whether she might have been eligible for this uh, for more ERC than her payroll provided payroll provider had instructed her to claim. Mm -hmm. uh, this payroll provider claimed the ERC only on the quarter number three of 2021, and, and she wasn't qualified for that quarter. Mm -hmm. And she was unable to articulate those qualification requirements for the ERC, and the payroll provider had undercalculated her ERC by about 80%. That's a significant amount of value that was lost. Mm -hmm. We've had some clients that come in after they've done uh, some manual work, uh, and only looked at that gross receipts test and mm -hmm. said, I'm not, right. I, I know I'm not eligible. Right. I don't know why I need to keep looking at this. Yeah. Um, but they had not considered the full or partial suspension of operations tests, which would have provided uh, at this organization an additional benefit of about $150,000. And then, you know, I've talked with, as part of this work, I'm talking with a lot of folks in my professional network, small business owners and leaders of not-for-profits. Uh, and they have claimed the funds, but they've basically just received an amended 941, which is where this yeah. credit is claimed, yeah. um, without any other documentation. Mm -hmm. So they have no concept as mm -hmm. to why they qualify, how the uh, credit was calculated, and, and I think it's critical that organizations receive documentation as to how eligibility and the credit were determined. Because mm. if there's an audit, you're responsible. Absolutely right, absolutely right. So you wanna make sure, and, and that audit window has uh, expanded to five years. So this is a little bit of a unique program. Um, rather than the traditional three years, it's, it's got a five-year window. So, of course, as time passes, we, we tend to lose uh, uh, our memory about what Absolutely. happened and why. So you want to have this nice file of, of documentation. As a guy from KPMG, you know how to do documentation. I do. That's Boy, do thing, I. That's the they, one thing I know. You know how to do documentation. They've trained me well. <laughs> they've trained me well. Um, the second key area let's talk about is, is maximization. And what you want to know is, is how is your provider going to calculate the ERC? Are they gonna use uh, a piece of algorithmic software or manual calculations in Excel to analyze your data and calculate that maximum amount of uh, ERC that's claimable? 
So our firm, we had a we had a peer-reviewed study by a top uh, 100 CPA firm actually, and, and our software solution recovered an average of nearly 13% more ERC across 27 trials as compared to those manual CPA calculations. Mm. And it's largely due to how they, uh, largely due to, to the way ERC interacts with those other relief programs. Third, I want to talk about certification. And you want to make sure that the deliverables provided by the provider protect you in the event of the audit that we spoke about. And uh, you want to understand the process uh, control that the organization has uh, employed. It should attest to the guidelines adhered to in those ERC calculations. And you need to have some allocation reports to demonstrate exactly how that ERC amount was calculated. With these deliverables considered, I think you can be confident that your organization can meet the substantiation requirements as set forth by the IRS in the event of an audit. Uh, do realize, this is sometimes overlooked, that the ERC is considered a taxable event. So for example, if your business is gonna claim $100,000 of the employee retention credit for a couple quarters in 2021, then it must reduce the employee wage deduction on the 2021 return by the same amount, mm -hmm. effectively increasing your taxable income mm -hmm. by the amount of the credit. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth area I want you to, uh, to consider is indemnification. So does the provider offer any guarantee or indemnification of their work? Uh, if the IRS rejects, refuses, or perhaps short pays your ERC refund, uh, will the provider uh, refund a portion of the fees charged? Are there any guarantees offered to ensure that you receive the absolute maximum amount of ERC? Does the provider offer an indemnification from all pen penalties, interest, professional fees paid in the event of a failed IRS audit? You really should have a formal engagement letter signed by your provider that's going to identify the work to be performed and the deliverables provided. And ensure that engagement letter with your provider explicitly identifies your remedies in the event of an IRS rejection or a modification of your ERC plan. That's awesome. So we're with David CPAC, client recovery agent. Um, he is a, uh, a, a certified public accountant. Really, if you can't tell, really grossed in details of the ERC. Uh, we're very fortunate at uh, Well CPA to be doing the podcast, a different type of bean counter, and adding this to the library. Um, David, man, there's there's a ton of complexity, and, and you and I agreed we were going to try to keep this short. And, yeah. And uh, there's a ton of complexity. One of the things I want to do is I want first and foremost I'm going to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for uh, meeting with me, for sharing this information, um, but. I want you to give a, any last comments, but I also want you to give how folks can get in touch with you. Absolutely. I know, I know, especially when you start talking about certification, indemnification, maximization, even those folks out there doing this on their own are incurring risk. And I'm always a person, and my clients will tell you that if I can pay a few dollars to shift risk to another organization, man, I'm all about that. Sure. So, absolutely. Um, last comments, how people can get in touch with you, and uh, man, really thank you. Absolutely. Well, uh, I am really grateful for the opportunity to share this information uh, uh, with your audience, but, uh, but you're right. 
this program is very complex that uh, many providers are not taking the time to calculate all the benefit uh, due their clients. Uh, and it's absolutely essential for any company with payroll to have this situation analyzed by a knowledgeable expert. Uh, finding those providers who are gonna partner with you to maximize the credit and certainly give you that documentation to support the conclusion is a critical step in the due diligence required to participate in this really generous IRS program. So I'm happy to help. Uh, my email is, is pretty straightforward. It's David, D-A-V-I-D dot CPEC, C as in Charlie, E, P as in Paul, E-K, at ERCapplication.com. So if anybody wants to reach out, or certainly through you, Don, I'd be happy to uh, uh, to take those calls and, and help folks get this value. Man, I, I, I really appreciate that, David. And one of the things that you've said several times that really resonate with myself and my clients, you use the word partner. Yes. You use the word partner. Uh, find a good partner. And uh, I, I trust David, I believe that David, would be a good partner for anyone looking to explore the ERC program. So thank you for your time, sir. And I, I look forward to uh, 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 what we get to talk about next. Thank so, you. Thank you. Have Absolutely. a great day. You too. Hello. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, depending on where you are at. This is Donald Wells with another episode of a different type of bean counter. Uh, we are coming to a close of 2022 and beginning 2023. It has been a wonderful year, wonderful time. I really appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that uh, I've had the opportunity to just create a library of information. Um, I think it's been beneficial to people um, throughout the year. Just questions come up and they're able to go and get real quick snippets of information. So uh, we're going to do that today. One of the things that I have been struggling with over the last, I don't know, six or seven months is um, so many people have been calling and asking, hey, Don, uh, do you guys do any accounting services? What about bookkeeping services and things of that nature? And typically we don't. Uh, as a firm, typically we don't. Uh, we're built to be an audit firm. Uh, we do do a little bit of what I will, I, I lump into back office. But one of the things that has really struck me is that I don't know that we use great language as we're asking for services. And I, I will admit that during the course of this year, there's been two or three times when I've tried to step into a role of a service provider thinking one thing was being asked of us and something else was actually being asked. And uh, it created uh, just a bad relationship and uh, not, not healthy. Uh, so, uh, those relationships needed to end. And as I was thinking about those and rehashing, what I thought is that uh, we, need, we need some language around the different financial services that we're asking. So I've spent some time with an organization called Focus CFO. Um, if, you, if you're looking for services, I highly recommend Focus CFO. Uh, they're a really good organization. And uh, I, I've worked personally with two or three people uh, out of their shop, and uh, I'd, I'd recommend them. But one of the things that I've had in those conversations is 
I've wanted to put language around the different roles within financial. And, and you may be listening and say, Don, I have no idea what you are you saying is different roles. You have a CPA and you have a non-CPA. Have at it. And that's that's not really the case. And and we're only going to talk about the uh, financial statement roles. We're not even going to get into tax side of it. But on the financial side, you have uh, bookkeepers and internal is all we're going to talk about. Uh, bookkeepers, accountants, controllers, and CFOs. So those are four roles that you'll typically find within an organization. And what I want to do is for the nonprofit organizations or the small business owner, I want to give you some language around what it is that you're asking for when you're seeking that service provider. Because I know that for me, um, we hire people at certain rates because we're built to be an audit firm, which means that they have certain billable rates. And there's some services that you might be asking for that it just makes no absolute sense for us to do based upon rates. And um, I, I think that that becomes, uh, you know, in everything in life, there's a cost-benefit. And uh, so I want to jump into and just give us some language around the different roles. And no role, and one of the things I love about the conversation with Focus CFO is that no role is more valuable than an, an, than another. Uh, the roles actually all build on each other. And as I go through these roles, if you think, oh, no, 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 we don't need that. Well, that means that somebody does need to be performing that. So let's jump in. And, and the, the entry point that we'll go into is the bookkeeper. Hey, I, I, I need a bookkeeper. Well, what, what does a bookkeeper generally do? And when you say bookkeeper to myself or to other professionals, what are, what are they thinking? Well, they're thinking about somebody that records and posts transactions. They might pay bills. Uh, they generally don't do any coding of transactions. Uh, they usually are only uh, income statement focused and not really focused on the balance sheet. So what does that look like? Well, that looks like someone who is, is hired for the sole purpose of uh, data entry with some financial uh, knowledge. Uh, they are going to take your transactions and put them where you say to put them. If you say that something is supplies, they're going to put them in supplies. If you say that a supply item is, um, you know, you go to Staples and you buy paper, but you come back and you code it to uh, maintenance, they're going to put it in maintenance. They're going to follow your instructions. They're going to give you back data out of your financial system that you've given them. Uh, they'll pay some bills. They'll they'll uh, uh, maybe they'll uh, cut checks and uh, do bill pays and things of that nature. So that that's the bookkeeper role. Someone that's going to take the information that you provide, uh, process it, and then provide you back financial data. Uh, highly valued, highly important. Uh, but the next step on the rung, if you will, is uh, an accountant. An accountant will record journal entries. So be very clear about this. I said that the bookkeeper would pay bills. I didn't say they would record journal entries. So, well, what's a journal entry, Donald? Well, when you record depreciation, there's no bill to be paid. When you record a accrual, 
of uh, payroll or pension expenses or uh, maybe somebody owes you money. There's not necessarily a bill to be paid. So the, the accountant's going to record the journal entries. They're going to perform reconciliations. Uh, they're going to reconcile the cash balances. They're going to reconcile fixed assets to the subsidiary ledger. They may do some inventory reconciliations. They'll make sure that the payables and receivables all tie out for you. Uh, they should have a global understanding of the financial statements, uh, which means that they should be able to be balance sheet focused as well as income statement focused. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of organizations, uh, be them for-profits or non-profits, when they look at the financial statements, they look at how much money came in, how much revenue did we have, and what did we spend it on. Boom, that's the statement that they're looking at. That's called an income statement, a profit and loss statement, or a statement of activities. Very rarely do they look at a balance sheet beyond the cash balance. Uh, they don't look at, okay, what's our depreciation? How much money does people owe us? How much money do, do we owe people? I will tell you in my business, one of the numbers, the main numbers that I watch to tell me whether or not we're doing well, and it's a key performance indicator, is our receivable balance. That receivable balance needs to be X. If it's not X, we need to get some more work out the door in order to pay bills. I very rarely look at revenue and expenses anymore. I'm usually focused on uh, my balance sheet. So that would tell you that if I had a bookkeeper who was primarily focused on balance sheet, we would be we would have a, a really bad mismatch. So your accountant, again, will record journal entries, reconcile accounts, uh, understand globally the financial statements, and uh, they'll have a role in the monthly close process. So, so many times we're, we're trying to hire one person to now play both of these roles. And it's possible, but just be make sure that you're clear that these are both roles. I know that I've been hired to be an accountant, and then I turn around and people say, hey, Don, uh, will you pay our bills? Will you run our payroll? I'm like, well, well that's, that's not necessarily what the accountant does. And, and we've had that mismatch that took place. Uh, the third level, and this level is even one that I, I very rarely have I had good language around what this level does, and that's the controller. Uh, the controller really has complete or should have a complete oversight regarding the financial statements, making sure their accuracy. Uh, they should uh, review those reconciliations that are being performed. Uh, they're still going to be really financial a focus. So uh, they are, if you will, almost, uh, even though there's one more level we're going to talk about, pure financially, uh, pure financial statement driven type focus compared to the next level, which is the CFO. The CFO will generally work with operations and sales teams. Uh, they'll look at key performance indicators. Uh, they'll perform analysis of critical business area. They'll coordinate services outside of your business. I got a phone call just the other day where someone said, hey, Don, I need some help um, uh, changing the title on a piece of property. And, you know, that that's a fantastic request. I'm not the right person to do it. I'm an external CPA. I'm an external auditor. 
what they're looking for. They're looking for an internal CFO. And they're asking me to play the role of their CFO in that case. So look at the look at what you're asking and more and more just try and find the language around it because I think that there's way too many times that we're either hiring somebody externally to come in and do some work for us and we have different expectations and that creates a problem and uh, and then we're we're always not sure what we need uh, like if I go back and I have a couple of clients where we do perform a uh, more of a we call them CFO but it's probably more of a controller role where we will on a monthly basis review the financial statements prepare key performance indicators for the board uh, do those type of things but they have somebody that's doing all the data entry into the accounting system they have somebody that's overseeing the accounting records what we do is we swoop in at the end and take that data uh, do a, a quick review of it to determine the accuracy of it and then prepare records for the board. So what they're really asking us to do is, hey, play that role of that controller for us or play that role of that CFO for us. They're not asking us to, I, I we don't do any, we don't touch their QuickBooks file. We do not touch their financial records in that situation. So um, I hope that that's helpful. You know, a different type of bean counter. Um, I just felt like it was really time that we tried to put some language around these different internal roles. I'm very thankful for my time with uh, Focus CFO to kind of uh, walk me through this. And again, I'm going to take another quick minute and go in summary. Bookkeeper generally will post transactions, uh, doesn't do necessarily coding, uh, usually is not balance sheet focused, but income statement focused. An accountant will be somebody that records journal entries, understands the totality of the financial statements, has a role in the monthly close process. A controller uh, is someone who is probably responsible for the total financial statements, uh, will make sure all the reconciliations are done, uh, is, is kind of that supervisor financial person. A CFO is someone that is really uh, starting to get into the operations and how does operations affect the financials and financials affect operations. Uh, starts to look at key performance indicators. Starts to measure how the organization's doing. Uh, coordinates with outside service providers. So that, those are the different roles. So I went quick. Hopefully that gives you something to take notes on. Listen to the podcast again, uh, a different type of bean counter and just a different financial role so that as you go into your next conversation with your service provider or your next service provider, that you have a little more clarity regarding what you're asking them to to perform for you. So I hope that's beneficial. Uh, again, a different type of bean counter. Subscribe. Uh, let me know what you like for me to cover. As we move into 2023, we're thinking about doing things a little bit different. Uh, we've stayed with this format for about a year. Eh, it's about time to change it up now. So we'll see where we go. I know that so many people are doing video podcasts now and things of that nature. So we'll see how that all looks as we move forward. But uh, this is Donald Wells with Wells CPA, Columbus, Ohio. And you just listened to an episode of a different type of bean counter. Thanks a lot and have a good day.